I think I put a title as Sanctity of Intimacy, right? But I was going to put sex, but then I put intimacy to try to... But that's what it's about. It's about sexual immorality, actually, um, in Leviticus chapter 18. So, um, but anyway, these laws and sacrifices are part of the Old Covenant, specific to the Israelites. And at the same time, many of these fun, uh, like foundational laws apply to believers today. I mean, should we still keep the Seventh Commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yes, of course, right? The Ten Commandments are like the standard. And yes, we miss the mark, of course. Christ died for the ungodly and for sinners, right? He died for us, uh, so forgiveness would actually be possible. But the Lord gets real in this section as he speaks of sexual immorality. Like, remember, these aren't like suggestions. These are divine instructions that are from God. And so the people needed like clarity when it came to living to please the Lord. They needed to know what that looked like. And the Lord paints a picture with all the details so there be no question of what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, what is acceptable and unacceptable. So as we start Leviticus 18, again, it's all about the sanctity of sex. And the culture we live in is so saturated, as you guys know, with everything related to sex, right? Like, Everything is sexualized. I mean, people these days find their identity not in what their character is like, you know, or how they are, right, or what's in their heart, if you will, but in what their sexual orientation is. And so the world system claims there are no moral absolutes, right? Like anything goes, do what you want. If it feels good, it's right for you kind of thing. The entertainment industry, when they realized sex sells, they went all in. They, they lured people in with lust, and it became so popular and a huge moneymaker. And so we went from shows like, I don't know if you know, but shows like I Love Lucy to Sex in the City, right? And so it's like these days, everything seems to be sexualized. Purity is laughed at. Holiness is seen as horrible. Um, celibacy is mocked, right? Like waiting until marriage to have sexual relations seems insane to the world, But as we look at God relaying truth about the sanctity of sex, we must remember that the culture in that day wasn't without its perversions, right? Like you you study secular and biblical history, uh, which they, of course, both line up. But during this time period, like there was some nasty and ungodly acts that were going on. I mean, if you look at 1 and 2 Corinthians, you see Paul talking to the Corinthian church because that was a super carnal, sexualized city. But we're going to see some of these things as we go through chapter 18. So, 18 so. so let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Leviticus 18. Just pray, Lord, that you would um, uh, just speak to us, Lord, that you would uh, bring these things to the surface and to light, and that you would, you're always faithful, Lord, to speak through your word. And so we thank you for that. Just speak tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get started. So Leviticus 18, verse 1 to 5 says, And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you should not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. He says, I am the Lord. And so the Lord like, gave very clear instructions like in regards to personal sexual hygiene, sexual morality, and s- sex and marriage. 
Why? Because we were created in the image of God, and our Creator knows what's best for us. Like, like the Lord wants married couples to enjoy intimacy together, and He also is warning what not to do. And see, we're, we're not under the Old Covenant anymore, but listen to some verses from the New Testament. Romans six fourteen and 15 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. From slaves of sin to slaves of God, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so the principles of the law are, are useful. The law acts right as a guardrail, boundaries kind of stuff, like for humanity, guiding us. And this chapter and all these laws are specifically for the children of Israel, yet these laws still express the mind and the heart of God regarding the expression of sexuality. And so this is reflected in many, again, many verses in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 12.21 says, Lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Ephesians 5.3 says, but fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for the saints. There are so many passages like this, but when the, when the New Testament writers wrote about sexual immorality, they wrote from an understanding of Leviticus 18. This chapter is clear concerning sexual immorality and impurity. And Jesus affirmed these things on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 17 to 19 do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven." And remember, like Jesus boiled down the commandments to two, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. On the, on the other, you know, all the laws hang on these two. So when it comes to Leviticus 18, these actions involve our relationship with God and those around us. And so although the laws in Leviticus 18 set forth like moral and ceremonial principles, the sexual prohibitions enumerated are still in effect today. Like the New Testament, again, echoes the teachings of Leviticus 18. For it prohibits, the New Testament does, incest, adultery, homosexuality. Right? So the breakdown of marriage and Jewish society and the adapting to pagan practices could threaten God's plan of redemption. And so this is the emphasis even of Malachi 2.15, which the Lord was seeking godly offspring who could only come from godly marriages. And I, and I love what he said. He said, I am the Lord your God. Basically, he's establishing a foundation for the whole matter. Like, you belong to me, so don't do as the world does. Just, just do what I tell you, that kind of stuff, right? Like the, like the Persian, you know, the Persian kids married their, back in this day, the Persian Kids married their mothers and daughters and sisters, and they thought such unions were looked upon with favor by their gods. Right? Seven times in the, uh, in the intro and conclusion of Leviticus 18, the Israelites are commanded not to act as other nations. Basically, don't be like them. Right? Like, basically, don't imitate the sins you saw in Egypt. 
And don't look around and imitate the sins of the Gentile nations either. So when the Jews entered Canaan, what they saw there was disgustingly immoral. Right? In order to be pleasing to God, Israel would have to maintain a position of uh, separation unto the Lord. That's what Leviticus is about, right? We've been talking about it for like a like few months, right? Leviticus is about holiness, being set apart, sanctified. The church today, it must maintain that separation as well. The church today. 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians speak of this. And Paul alluded to this idea. You guys know these verses really well. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. And so the culture wants to take the purpose of sex, which is full of fulfillment and meaning within marriage, and they want to distort it. They want to make something what's clear, and they want to, they're making it blurry, if you will. Like the culture wants to take the meaning and purpose out of it and see it just as an empty pleasure, just, uh, just have fun. Go for it. The standard of right and wrong in regards to sex was given by God not to hurt or deprive or restrict joy. You know, sometimes because like when I'm growing, you know, when, when we're growing up and it's like, we're like, we think our parents make decisions because they're like, you just don't want me to be happy. That's kind of like what we think. We're like, it's like, I can't believe they're doing this. Later we realize when we grow up, oh, they were trying to protect me. They, they did these things. They said no because they actually love me. Well, the Lord loves us, right? And he doesn't want us to participate in this stuff because it brings pain and emptiness. And so the standard of right and wrong in regards to sex, you know, is given by God. God gave these commands to bring order so society can be clear on what is good and what is not. And so verse 5, it says, Obedience to God's commands brings life. And this verse is quoted in Nehemiah, in Luke, Romans, and Galatians. See, after we're saved, like our obedience to the will of God as revealed in the word of God is the basis for fellowship with God and enjoying the abundant life he wants us to have. So obedience to God is a beautiful and fulfilling action. So many today think obedience is just a bad word. Oh, I'm not going to obey anyone. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? But when it comes to God, he knows what's best. When we follow the Lord, guilt is gone. Like we get to walk in freedom and life makes sense. I mean, I, I love following him. He makes things so clear. If we would just adhere to what he says, he knows his will for us is better than our surface-level dreams. Um, but it goes on, and, and really, Leviticus 18 defines the boundaries in regards to sexuality and the family. In verse 6, it says, None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother and, she, and shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. And so the family unit needed to be well-defined, right? Because the family is the foundation of society. You know, one commentator, Adam Clark, he spoke of this issue of some of the marriages earlier in the Bible between relatives, right? And so he said, such as Abraham and Sarah. He said, notwithstanding the prohibitions here, it must be evident that in the infancy of the world, 
persons very near of kin must have been joined in matrimonial alliances, and that even brothers must have been matched with their own sisters. This must have been the case in the family of Adam. In these first instances, necessity required this. When this necessity no longer existed, the thing became uh, inexpedient and improper. And so it says to uncover his nakedness. This phrase is used 17 times in this chapter, and it's essentially like a nice way to say to talk about sexual activity, right? And this phrase is broad enough to include all sexual act activity, including inappropriate activity. So the family should never be sexualized only within marriage between a husband and a wife. And these commands help make appropriate boundaries. 1 Corinthians 5.1 says, It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Uh, one commentator said there is both a moral and genetic reason for these commands. Surveys in different parts of the world where inbreeding occurs have shown that it is accompanied by an increase in uh, uh, congenital malformations and perinatal mortality for which recessive genes and environmental factors respectively would be responsible. He says, in those instances where the parents are siblings or where the relationship is one between a parent and a child, the resultant offspring incur approximately at a 30% risk of retardation or some other serious defect. So over and over we see God knows what he's doing and there's a purpose behind all of his laws and his promises, including Leviticus 18. See, the nakedness of the husband and wife only belongs to the spouse and no one else. Right? Your spouse is the only one in whom you know, we can be naked and unashamed, if you will. Right? And like our affection, our passion, all our intimate feelings, our romance needs to all be directed to our significant other, to that, the person that we're married to. No one else should ever get any of that from us, just our spouse, right? Man and a woman. And then verse 10, it says, The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover. For theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she's your sister. And you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's, uh, it is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of the woman and her daughter, nor shall you take your son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. So here's some other just like applications of the command against incest, right? And in these verses, God condemns sexual relations between many different family members. And the word nakedness of a husband or wife belongs to their, again, it belongs to their spouse and no one else. Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19, we know that a man and a woman become one flesh when they marry. Paul really relayed a similar thought. In first, again, in 1 Corinthians, super carnal city, Corinth, 1 Corinthians 7, 4, he said, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
And so he goes on, he says, it is wickedness. Like the term wickedness, it's used 20 more times in the Old Testament to describe any kind of morally unacceptable or uh, detestable action. Wickedness. So verse 19, also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. So again, this, this command is against sex during menstruation. Told you we're getting real. It says, in her customary impurity. And this command, we actually looked at it in Leviticus 15, where the penalty for breaking this uh, observance of ceremonial uncleanness is described. And what essentially it was is the penalty was to perform a ritual uh, washing afterwards. So, verse 20, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. This command goes against adultery. Violating the marriage bond goes against God's design. Right? The seventh commandment in Exodus 20:14 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, excuses for adultery are like, ah, oh, they just didn't understand me. I wouldn't have, but it's just, you know, we fell out of love. I, or this other person just listens to me and, my, you know, my spouse doesn't anymore. Lame excuses, horrible excuses. These are hard issues from the excuse maker. Adultery is an assault on the family. And in the ancient Near East, it's actually called the great sin. Many people don't consider when considering adultery, like how sin will defile themselves. See, we know like the sin of adultery will affect their spouse, their children, their family, but adultery also affects and defiles the one committing the sin, showing them to be both uh, unfaithful and uncontrolled, basically. And then verse 21, and you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, or, uh, nor shall you profane the name of, of your God, I am the Lord. The command against Molech worship. So the horrible worship of Molech, the pagan idol, started by heating a metal uh, statue representing the God until it was burning hot. Then the living infant was placed on the outstretched hands of the statue while people would uh, beat drums to drown out the screams of the child until it burned to death. So people didn't hear the child being tortured. This is why the Bible clearly identifies Molech with the demonic. We're going to look at this maybe next week or the week after. In Leviticus 20, verse 1 to 5, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of this descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against the man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family." And I will cut him off from the people. And all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. So God pronounced essentially like a death sentence, right, to anyone who worshiped Molech. And one of the worst crimes of the northern tribes of Israel was their worship of this idol, which led to captivity uh, by the Assyrians. King Manasseh of Judah gave his son to Molech. Worship of him continued until King Josiah of Judah, until he destroyed the place of worship where they would worship this false god. So 
It says, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. So Moloch is spoken of in the context of sexual sin because Moloch worship was a method of infanticide to eliminate children born outside of marriage, the result of the sexual acts God had commanded against. Moloch worship is like the ancient version of birth control, just like abortion is used as birth control after the conception of a child. It's very dark, very demonic. Verse 22, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So this is a command against homosexual relations. And this is a clear command against same-sex sexual acts. Like God's intentions for sexual expression is between a man and a woman. And he says it's an abomination. One of the strongest words of condemnation in Hebrew is this word abomination. Many books of the Bible speak of homosexuality, and it's not God's way. Clearly, for centuries, homosexuality was thought of as something people did or practiced. In the last few generations, Western culture sees homosexuality as defining one's identity. So there's been a shift and a change in the outlook of homosexuality. Like, like here's the thing. Christians must make sure we do not hate people, I want to emphasize that, because of their sins. What, what we can do is we can categorize different kinds of sins. Oh, lying, that's fine. Everyone does it. You know, oh, this, that's fine. I, you know, I, I mess up with that too. Homosexuality, what? Don't even come near me. So we want to not hate the person, right? Like, love them. At the same time, it's, it's, it's not love to approve of their sins either. It's not like, oh, no big deal. It's Pride Month, right? And like, I was at, uh, I was at the gym this morning, like, you know, and on the TVs, it's like we have pride workouts and all this stuff, and it's everywhere right now. You're going to see all kinds of rainbows, and they're not thinking about like God's covenant with his people, right? They, and so they're thinking of perversion. And so the issue isn't love, it's, it's sexual conduct. Like we're, and, and here's the thing, we know this, guys, like we're born sinners. We're born sinners, all of us. Like we have sinful desires, and these desires are expressed in different ways in each individual. And so as as of a, here's a crazy st- uh, like percentage thing. As of a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was 2019, 97.6% of adults identified as straight. 97.6, only having relations with the opposite sex. So only 3 to 5% of the population is homosexual, but it's, it's trendy and it's popular, and so, so companies promote it or else they're seen as haters. If they don't do these things, they're looked down upon, they lose business, they are attacked, you know, and it's like, it's crazy. It's just crazy, you know. Uh, back in L.A. and in West Hollywood, West Hollywood is really, um, it's where like a lot of same-sex couples go to live and they go to have coffee and eat, they're just like, that's where they are, it's like the, the whole population. But there was a guy who had a, a church there and he, they ministered to them constantly, and they saw awesome, like, deliverances, like these homosexual men like, and lesbian women were, like, getting saved and worshiping God and turning to Jesus, and they're like, you know, I'm delivered, basically, and a lot of it was from trauma when they were younger, and even we've seen some family members who were living that lifestyle and were going to church, and, and one day God spoke to them, and they're like, I just, they're like, I just want Jesus. This is, I know this is wrong. This is bad. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I don't want to live this way anymore. And so they were delivered. And so it's, it's crazy, and it's so permeated in, like, in our culture and in, in advertising and 
and Target, like everywhere we go now, it's, it's like being included in all of these things, and it's like, man, and it's not like, it's not like, like we don't want to hate the people, right? Like they're still made in God's image, they're, but they're in sin, right? They're in like habitual sin, much like a drug addict or an alcoholic or someone in sexual immorality, out, you know, sex outside of marriage with the opposite sex, like they're in sin and they need to be delivered. But God is doing a work. I think we can tend to be like, you know what? There's no way. I think that alcoholic can be delivered. He can break the chains of that alcohol, right? Like that drug addict, definitely. They, this, you know, someone was unfaithful in marriage. God can definitely. I've seen that. Like I've counseled a couple where they were wanting to get divorced. The husband cheated on his wife multiple times. And she's like, no, we're, I want to work this out. I, I, do you repent? And so it was awesome. It was deliverance, right? But, but sometimes we can be like, oh, homosexual. No, no, there's no way. No hope. But there is. You know, God can grab any heart. He can save any soul. And so we don't want to limit, you know, what God can do by saying, like, okay, I'm going to minister all these people. But those people, mm, they already think we're haters and bigots, right? So it's kind of like, let's show them otherwise. Like, we love you. Let me tell you what God has done, you know? Anyway, off the soapbox. Verse 23. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Command against bestiality, right? Now, this is gross. (laughs) Uh, But, like, in Egypt, this actually was a a common practice. Like, the gods of Ugarit were encouraged to lie with animals. It was like, but it is a perversion. It it means stepping over the boundaries that God established. That's what perversion means. God establishes boundaries, you're over here. Bestiality was actually prevalent among the Canaanites. If you do some history, um, studying on the Canaanites, they were very bad. Like this, but this sin, bestiality, it had religious significance to the Canaanites. Like bestiality is actually legal in some uh, European nations today as well. If God's standard, though, is rejected in an area of sexual morality, then anything goes. Anything goes. And that's not good. As Christianity and morality continue to be mocked and laughed at, these perversions will continue, and the culture gets darker and darker. And pretty much just like, again, moral relativism takes over. Whatever you want to do, it doesn't even matter. If it feels good, if it's right to you, if it's your truth, go for it. We're not going to judge you. That's not love, right? Love is not love. God is love, but love is not love. That doesn't make sense. Circular logic. That's a different thing. Verse 24, do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit uh, visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. That's pretty intense. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of you or your uh, nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations of men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out of the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among the people. 
Therefore, you shall keep my ordinances so that you do not commit any of these abomination, abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. He says, I am the Lord your God. So here's like just the summation. Like the urgency to obey God's command for sexual immorality. The urgency. Do not defile yourselves. Our culture doesn't see sexual sin as defiling. They see it as freeing, as sexual expression, right? But if you think back and you look back at the 60s, which is all about like sex, drugs, and, and rock and roll, the hippies, you know, peace, love, and all this stuff. And, and it's like they weren't happy. There was a void. That's why the Jesus revolution happened. They were looking for something, but they were looking in all the wrong places. And they were trying all these things, but they were left empty, diseased, alone, you know, out on the streets. It was like that's why God used that time to grab their hearts and save their souls. They're like, this is what it's about. It's not about all this other stuff, this worldly carnal junk, right? It's about the Lord. But sexual sin is defiling, and it's all about immediate pleasure, right? Yet people are left empty alone. It says, for the land is defiled. So one of the main reasons that God brought Israel to defeat and, uh, and displace the Canaanites uh, was because of their perversions, because of their lifestyles, their sins, what they were doing. Like when a nation promotes sin, it's going to be judged by God, right? Like see, God commanded that in Israel there should be a strong sense of social disapproval toward those who broke these laws of sexual morality. Like these are family, these are family destroying sins and civilization killing sins, if you will. Like nothing productive or good or beneficial or healthy comes out of these engaging in these sins, sexual immorality. One commentator said this, he said, where there is incense or adultery, we may truly say the family is murdered. What murder is to the individual that precisely are crimes of this class to the family? It was not that these things were never done in Israel. It was simply that it was clear that society said those things were wrong and should never be approved. More and more modern culture refuses to call almost any kind of sexual activity sin. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinances. So he says, let us remember the imperative tone of these words and ask God to work in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so following God and living to serve him is all about denying these carnal pleasures and embracing godly values and truths. Sexual sin, it leads to nothing good. It leads to destruction, depravity, depression, emptiness, false love, physical repercussions, emotional consequences, all kinds of things. Israel would have no excuse now to live ungodly and perverted lives, right? God laid it out, and kind of like how God speaks to us. He says, do not do that. That's a sin. That is not your liberty. That's a compromise. Stop doing it. Once after that point, we don't have an excuse. If we do it, that's all on us. It's not like, well, God, you didn't, you know, he did. He did tell you, and he explicitly told you in, in his word. And so, so they now knew what was expected of, you know, of the Lord in regards to sex, sexuality. God's ways are made clear so we can walk in his ways. And that's the general bottom line, right? And so we can stay in the center of his will. So we know, so the children of Israel will know what is right and what is, there was no question. This was all laid out. This wasn't like a vague, ambiguous kind of thing. It was like, do not do this, 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 and this. Like all, you know, everything, all the things are just all in here, right? This is very clear. Do not do this. Stay away from this. Do not walk in the ways of Egypt or the Canaanites. That's the exact opposite of what I want you guys to do. 
Walk in purity, walk in holiness. Let me refine you. Keep your eyes on me. Stay in the center of my will. And you're going to live to please God. And that's, that's why we're here.